OTR Rob, welcoming you to another edition of Fibber McGee and Molly. You bet your life, and our Miss Brooks, not exactly in that order. And the Fibber and Molly episode comes from 1947, from February 4th. And the McGee's are babysitting Teeny. That should be a very fun episode. <laughs> I had not heard that one. And our Miss Brooks from 1953, from November 15th. And the title of the episode is Walter's Moving Van. And then from You Bet Your Life from 1951, May 2nd. The secret word is foot. F-double-O-T. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. I'm willing, and the creek's not right. Chins up, everyone. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. How would you like to live in a world where kitchen floors were always clean and sparkling and never had to be washed or cleaned? Well, I'm afraid I can't promise you anything quite as nice as that, but I can come mighty close to it. Just protect your linoleum and other floors with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. First off, you'll notice how very brightly your linoleum shines, how fresh and gay its colors are. Then you'll find that with regular glow coat care, you can keep up this bright wax-polished beauty with practically no work at all. When you spill something or when muddy feet track in dirt, you simply wipe the floor with a damp cloth, and right away it's clean again. What happens is the Johnson's Glow Coat forms a tough wax coating, which keeps dirt away from the surface of the floor. Of course, there's no rubbing or buffing with Glow Coat. In 20 minutes, it's ready to walk on. And all that shine, believe me, it's really bright. Try it, won't you? Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat. When a man starts pacing the floor, kicking the footstools, and twiddling with the window curtains, it's a wise wife who hands him his hat and his bowling ball. As long as they're in the alleys, they're off the streets, says Mrs. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. Go on, McGee, go and bowl. You're making me nervous pacing up and down like that. No bowling tonight, kiddo. Bowling alley's all tied up with the tournament. <laughs> well, then go down to the Elks Club and play cribbage like you did last week. Only this time, be sure there's no poker chips in the cuff of your trousers when you get home. The Elks Club is being redecorated. Well, for goodness sakes, do something. Read something. Take a walk. Play solitary. 
<laughs> I can't play solitary. Every time I start, I interrupt myself to do card tricks. <laughs> and I know how all of them are done, and it just bores me. Oh, dear. Well, look, sweetheart, you're in a difficult mood tonight. What do you want to do, go to a movie? Mm. As long as you're in such a lather, why don't we go see The Razor's Edge? <laughs> That's at the Princess and the Popcorn is better at the Bijou. <laughs> Furthermore, I don't see... Doggone it, listen to that doorbell. Visitors, visitors, visitors. Man tries to spend a quiet evening at home with his wife, and what happens? Nothing that any smart radio listener can't figure out in advance. <laughs> Come in. Well, for it's the little oh, girl from across sure. the street, Mom. Hi, Teeny. Hi, Mr. McGee. Hi, Miss McGee. Hello, Teeny. What's on your mind, sis? Well, my mom and my daddy are at a bridge party tonight, and mama told me I could stay with Aunt Minnie, but I don't like Aunt Minnie. <laughs> you don't, eh? She all... Hmm? I says you don't, eh? Don't what? Like her. Who? Aunt Minnie. I know it. <laughs> she treats me like I was a little girl. Well, you are a little girl, aren't you? <laughs> Sure, but intelligent adults realize that talking down to children is psychologically wrong, I bet you. Hmm. Well, that is well now you just stay right here with us, dear. <clears throat> now, uh, <clears throat> would you like to lie down and take a nap until your father and mother call for you? Uh, McGee, show Teeny into the guest room while I get her some warm milk and cookies. Okay. Oh, gee, thanks, Miss McGee. You're awful nice to little children. Now, oh, come on, Teeny. In here. Okay. Now, take your shoes off and... Crawl under this afghan. Okay. That's it. Tell yeah. me a story, mister, will you please, will you? Hmm? Tell me. <laughs> well, okay, sis. Here's a book I've had since I was a little girl, or a little boy. <laughs> I'll read you one out of this. Once upon a time... Oh. <laughs> Boy, they sure wrote those things with a rubber stamp, didn't they, mister? <laughs> once upon a time, once upon a time, once upon a time. Well, that's just tradition, sis. Now be quiet and listen. Okay. Okay. Once upon a time in a little dell... What's a dell? That's a kind of a shady nook in the woods where, where green things grow. You mean like dell pickles? <laughs> That's exactly what I had in mind. Now, quit interrupting. Okay. Okay. Now, once upon a time, in a little dell by an old smithy... Pardon me for interrupting mm -hmm. again, mister, but what's a smithy? A smithy is a, is a blacksmith shop, sis. That's where they put shoes on horses. Oh. <laughs> what's the matter? Oh. Shoes on horses. Huh? Oh. Come on, mister. Let's quit kidding around and have a story. <laughs> Okay. Once upon a time, in a little dell by a smithy, there lived a big white hare. Hmm? Hare, sis. That means a rabbit. Oh. One day, this hare was walking along the turnpike. What's a turnpike? That's a road, sis. Oh. As the little hare walked down the turnpike past a chemist shop... A what, mister? A drugstore. Oh. He was walking down the turnpike past the chemist shop... When all of a sudden he saw a sixpence lying in the road. Uh, so he's What's a sixpence, mister? Mm. What is that? A sixpence is money. Oh. And just as he picked up the sixpence, a troll stuck his head over a turnstile. What's and... a troll oh. and what's a turnstile? A troll is a it, 
A turnstile is a... Oh, for the love... Why don't somebody write some fairy stories in English? <laughs> Trolls, hares, turnpikes, sixpence. How can any American kid ever... Hey, hey, teeny. Hey, teeny. Teeny. Hmm, my gosh, I put her to sleep. <laughs> Billy Mills and the orchestra and serenade to a wealthy widow. I think so. I put the Afghan over her. Incidentally, why do they call those things Afghans? Well, it's a corruption of half again, dearie. Huh? Because when you knit one, it's always it always takes half again as much yarn as you thought it would. Oh, oh I see. I've always wondered what the... Uh... Come in! Shh, shh, shh. Huh? Oh, uh, come in. It's Mr. Wimple, not so loud. There's a little girl asleep in the guest room there, Wimp. Take it easy. Sure. Okay, folks. <laughs> Is it some relative, Mr. McGee? No, it isn't, Mr. Wimple. It's the little girl girl from across the street. Her parents are at a bridge party. Oh. I used to play bridge quite a bit. <laughs> Everybody says they ought to call my game George Washington Bridge. Yeah? It's so revolutionary. <laughs> but I don't play much anymore since Sweetie Face hurt her foot. Sweetie Face. That's my big old wife. <laughs> Hurt her foot how, Mr. Wimple? Well, I got tired of having her kick me on the shins under the table, so I stuck some thumbtacks through my garters, and when she kicked me the next time with her open-toed shoes on, you should have heard her scream. 
it was prettier than the Moonlight Sonata. I'll bet you answered for that little monk of hunky business, Wimp. Oh, I really did, Mr. McGee. Yeah. She took me out on the balcony and said, Did you do that on purpose, Wallace? Uh-huh. And I said, Yes, dear, but I'm sorry. And she said, Oh, that's all right, dear. And took me in her arms. Oh, oh wasn't that sweet of her? No. <laughs> hey? No. She took me in her arms, walked over to the edge of the balcony, and dropped me off. <laughs> days, how high was it? Six floors. Wow. Fortunately, I landed on the doorman. Maybe you know him, Mr. McGee. He's the one at the Ritz Vista Hotel. They call him Shorty now. <laughs> uh, Mr. Wimple, is that black eye you've got a leftover from that little episode? <laughs> no, Mrs. McGee. I just got that this afternoon. Sweetie Face hit me because my punctuation was bad. Your punctuation? You writing a letter or something? No, I was sitting at the window with my bird book. Your, uh... Your what, Mr. Wimple? My bird book. (laughs) And I saw a black crow in a tree, and I pointed it out to Sweetie Face and said, My, just look at that, old crow. (laughs) Well, I guess I better be going. Good night, folks. McGee, I wonder how Teenie's parents ever let her come over here. We don't even know them, you know. No, but they know she comes over here a lot, and we like her. Maybe she just came over here and... Hey, uh, Mr. McGee, what time is it? What time is it? Hmm. About half past, sis. Did we wake you up with our talking? Oh, no, you didn't wake me up, I bet you. Mm. (laughs) I'm a very light sleeper anyway. You are, eh? I, uh, huh? I says you are, eh? I what? A light sleeper. Sure. I only weigh 46 pounds. <laughs> Will you go right ahead and talk, Mr. McGee and Miss McGee? You won't bother me in there. No, you won't bother me at all. I wonder what she wanted the correct time for. She isn't going anyplace. Well, you know how children are, dearie. Anything for a diversion. Yeah. At that age, they consider sleep a dreadful waste of time. Oh, not me. I love sleep. You know how long it took me to get to sleep last night? About four hours. Oh, nonsense. Huh? Do you know what your first words were this morning? No. What did I say? You said the milkman? I did? Yes. And the last thing you said last night was, did you leave a note for? (laughs) You slept eight and a half hours in the middle of that sentence. What do you know? I'd have sworn I counted sheep until daybreak. (laughs) Thought I'd gone to sleep by sheer willpower. That just goes to show what the power... Hello, Molly. Hello, pal. Hello, Mr. Wilcox. Lower your voice to a scream, Junior. There's a kid trying to sleep in the guest room. Oh, really? Got house guests? No, the little girl from across the street. Her folks are at a bridge party tonight, and she... Hey, uh, Mr. McGee, what time is it, please? My gosh, aren't you asleep yet, sis? Well, it's just exactly 20 minutes to, teeny. Now paddle your little corpus back to bed, kid. Okay, mister, but wouldn't it uh, be polite to introduce me to your good-looking friend? Huh? She means me. Oh, I'm sorry, Teeny. Mr. Wilcox, this is Teeny. Teeny, Mr. Harlow Wilcox. I'm very glad to meet you, Teeny. Oh, likewise, I bet you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, are you the Mr. Wilcox that sells Johnson's Wax? Hmm? Uh, yes, he is, Teeny. Now, now go on, get back in the Oh, bedroom. let her stay up, pal. Let her oh. stay up. Uh, you know about Johnson's Wax, Teeny? I'll say I do, I bet you. 
My mama said when she got married to my daddy that she set up housekeeping on two Maxfield Parish pictures, a pickle dish, and a can of Johnson's wax. <laughs> she did, eh? Yes, huh? I said she did, eh? Did what? Set up housekeeping with two Maxfield Parish pictures, a pickle dish, and, and a... a can of Johnson's wax. <laughs> That's what I said. That's what she said Well, your mother's a good housekeeper, apparently, Teeny Oh, sure she is, I betcha She says when she married my daddy, her mother told her three things Mm, What were they, Teeny? She said, never, never speak to a husband until he's had his breakfast coffee Mm -hmm. She says a man getting up is like a jalopy on a cold morning (laughs) You gotta prime him, crank him, and jump back Ah, wise woman, your grandmother. Sure. She also said that if she had a maid to have her use Johnson's wax on the floors and furniture and woodwork. Aha. And the third thing? If she didn't turn woodwork, do it herself. She says any housekeeper with pride in the appearance of her house is, hey, what time is it now, Mr. McGee? Huh? Huh? Oh, uh, it's about two minutes past the time you got two minutes ago, sis. Mm, thank you. Well... <laughs> Anytime you're going to the circus or a picture show or anything, Mr. Wilcox, call me up. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> Good night. Well, that was a great sales talk you dished out there, Waxy. You stood there like a box of bubble bath in a lumber camp. <laughs> you let the kid do all the work. Well, doggone it, that little girl was so cute. A kid advice to brides. You know what I'm going to do? What? Go home. Might as well go home His week's work is done (laughs) Hey, why don't that kid take a nap? My gosh, she's as sleepless as a lower berth over a flat wheel (laughs) Oh, she'll go to sleep Children her age drop off very easily, you know Come in (laughs) They didn't hear you Come in Come in, quietly. <laughs> oh, for goodness sakes, it's Mayor Latrip. Good evening, Your Honor. Good evening, Molly. Hello, McGee. Hi, political. How's everything down in that marble ballot box with the flag on it? <laughs> if you are referring to the city hall, my friend, everything is going very well, thank you. Thank you. The city is in the best shape fiscally that it has been in for many years. Well, isn't that wonderful? It's great stuff, Latrip, as far as it goes. But you can't throw dust in my eyes with that technical stuff. The real issue is, how is the city stacking up financially? Well, I was uh, just... Dearie, uh, for your information and to save you future embarrassment, uh, fiscal and financial are the same thing. Oh, I don't know if they are. <laughs> I took fiscal culture in high school, but it wasn't financial. <laughs> As a matter of fact, after I paid for my sweatshirts and basketball shoes... Uh, pardon me, McGee. Huh? That was physical culture, not fiscal. F-I-S-C-A-L, fiscal, refers to things monetary. Just the same, buying basketball shoes at 6 was... Well, that... why did you wait till so late to buy them? What do you mean, so late? Well, uh, I think the mayor means as late as 6.55, McGee. After all, making a shoe store stay open after 6 o'clock was just so you could buy basketball shoes while that was... But I didn't keep any store open. I just said I Do you bought... think they stay open till 6.55 just because they like to sit on those little stools? Certainly not. I didn't say they kept open till 6.55. I said my basketball shoes... But, were... uh, darling. Huh? You could just as well have bought them the next day. 
6.55 is almost 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock, and if those clerks had families and homes to That rather, when I said 6.55, I didn't mean the time. I meant the price was 6.55. You understand? Certainly. Good. But 6.55 is still not a large enough transaction to keep a shoe clerk from his dinner. I didn't keep any shoe clerks from his dinner. I don't even remember when I bought my basketball shoes. The time doesn't mean 60 for 55 that that was the price. I might even have bought them in the morning. <laughs> At 6.55 in the morning? <laughs> Heavenly. <laughs> Dearie, do you mean you got those people out of bed that early just so you could buy them? No, no, I didn't. I didn't get anybody out of basket bed, uh, basket ship hall. <laughs> 6.55 clerks for store coopers. Uh, look, look, when I said no, I... No, no, no. Take it easy, McGee. Give it a chance. Relax. Well, my gosh, when Good I Good heavens. You were just a boy then, dearie. Boys are naturally thoughtless. They don't stop to think that a man selling shoes is a human being like the rest of us. But I tell you, I didn't do anything to any shoe clerks. I was merely the price of the clerks. Of the shoes with the basket. I mean the shoes... By the way, how much did you pay for the basketball shoes? I've been trying to tell you for 15 minutes. It was six fifty-five. A.M. or P.M.? <laughs> Late in the afternoon. I mean, it was early in the morning. I don't know what time it was. All I was, the price was there. I know I mean. <laughs> I mean, all I can remember, I forget. <laughs> I mean, the basketballs, the, the clerk shooters. I mean, the school... You said that there wasn't any... I didn't do any much about it. <laughs> you... <laughs> McGee That's you huh? oh, oh. oh yeah Mr. Dia <laughs> Yes I'll never forgive you for this Making me yell at my wife like that? Ah, <laughs> oh, that's all right, dearie. It gave you a nice, healthy color. Yes, McGee, a little physical exertion like that is quite beneficial. What's so physical about my exertion? It didn't cost me a nickel to exert my fiscal. I didn't say that. Not fiscal, dearie. Huh? He said, he said physical. Oh. You see, fiscal refers to a... Uh... Oh, are you leaving, Mr. Mayor? Yes. Yes, this is where I came in. Good day. <laughs> Kingsmen sing Managua, Nicaragua. Managua, Nicaragua is a beautiful town. You buy a hacienda for a few pesos down. You give it to the lady that you're trying to win. But her old man doesn't let you come in. Managua, Nicaragua is a heavenly place. You ask a senorita for a little embrace. She answers you, caramba, scramba, bambarito. In Managua, Nicaragua, that just means no. I have been to many tropic ports. Olé! I might include even Brooklyn. Olio, if you're ever feeling out of sorts. Olé! I recommend you take a look in. At least you ought to sneak a little peek. At Managua, Nicaragua, for a visit you stop. You buy a big sombrero from a neighborhood shop. And then the girls will follow you like in a parade. That's because they want to walk in the shade. 
you are denied. She would rather be a handsome bullfighter's bride. You feast upon the enchilada all the day long, provided that your stomach is as across the ship. So take a trip and on a ship for sailing away across the Yawa to see Managua. Across the Agua to Managua, Nicaragua. Ole! We ought to call up Teeny's parents and make sure they know where she is. Where are you going to call them? If they're out playing bridge someplace, we don't know the number unless she could tell us herself. And maybe hey, she... uh, Mr. McGee, what time is it? What? Again? It's about three minutes to the hour, Teeny. Why do you ask, Teeny? Well, uh, <laughs> there's a little portable radio in the guest room, and I wondered if you'd let me turn it on. Would you? Would you mind? Would you? Hmm? Oh, I don't know why not, Teeny. Well, if it'll help you go to sleep, dear, go right ahead. Just find some nice, soft music and tune it down low. Yeah. Want me to tell you another story, sis? No, 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 mister. <laughs> I'll just listen to the little Parkable Radio. Thank you, anyway. <laughs> Parkable Radio, isn't that cute? Natural mistake. Squeals like a pig. And... <laughs> it's a hog with the light bill. I never saw a radio set. Come in. Oh, it's Dr. Gamble. Come in, doctor. Thank you, Molly. Hello, beanbag. <laughs> Hi, second guesser. <laughs> Any grave mistakes today? <laughs> Considering the source of that question, mudhead, I... Say, do I going somewhere? Radio going somewhere? You hear a radio, but it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Just sitting on the guest room table. The little girl across the street is spending the evening with us, Doctor, while her parents are out playing cards. Look in on her if you want to. You might drum up a fast game of patty cake, butcher's man. <laughs> no, thank you, my boy I've got to run along now I've got an operation scheduled for tonight An and... operation tonight, doctor? Is it an emergency? Oh, not exactly, Molly Stop by to tell you about it, as a matter of fact You see, I'm performing a lobotomy A on... what, doctor? A lobotomy Who performed yours? <laughs> Mine? Yeah From where I'm standing, you got about the little... Oh, McGee! <laughs> Mrs. McGee, if I ever have your little marital mistake there open for any reason, my dear, remind <laughs> me to remove most of that gall of which he has enough for a poke in the nose. <laughs> I was about to say that I'm demonstrating a new technique for chest surgery tonight, and they're going to take movies of me operating. No kidding, Doc. Oh, that's wonderful, Doctor. Just imagine, McGee, Dr. Gamble in pictures. Yeah. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you won the anatomy award? <laughs> Boy, oh boy, will he be hard to get along with now, Molly Can't you just see him mugging at the camera? <laughs> what are they going to call the picture, Doc? Ham slices man? <laughs> no, no, but seriously, my boy I wish you'd drop over later on You can help me I can? Oh, I'd love to, Doc Yes, if the applause is as big as I think it'll be I'd like to use you for an encore Oh, good night You know, McGee, I'll bet Doc Gamble will be very... Sounds like it comes from the guest room. Heavenly days, McGee. We better look in there. Well, for the last time, Ratface, will you tell us where the Gladstone... Persuade him, Snarly. It'll be a pleasure. I can see. Persuade him, Snarly. It'll be a pleasure, Chief. Oh! 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 Hey, sis. That's a pretty bloodthirsty program for quiet, you. Quiet, quiet. Shh. It's almost over. Oh. Okay. Okay. I'll talk. I hit the emerald... Oh! 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 
tonight's episode of Bloodbath Incorporated. Tune in again next week and see how Ace Bodkin, the Chicago Shamus, trails the killers of... Oh, boy, was that ever wonderful. Well, thanks ever so much, Mr. McGee and Miss McGee. I guess I better go home now. Go home? But maybe your folks aren't home yet. Oh, they didn't go anyplace, mister. What? Didn't you tell us they were out playing bridge somewhere, Teeny? Sure I did, I bet you. They're playing at our house. <laughs> you mean... Well, then why'd you come over here in the first place? Well, I wanted to hear that radio program, Bloodbath Incorporated. What? Oh, and when Snarly stuck that chiv into Ratface's innards, I thought... Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> you mean you came over here just to listen to that radio program? Sure I did, I bet you. <laughs> they won't let me listen to it at home. <laughs> I see. Well, we wouldn't have let you listen to it here either if we'd known it. That's no good for kids. You subterfuged us. You took oh. advantage. Oh, well, gee, I'm sorry you feel that way about it, kids. Look. Uh-oh. Looks like I gotta find a new place every week. Mm. Where's my little coat and my little mittens? Oh, here they are. Well, thanks for everything, Miss McGee and Mr. McGee. Good night now. Have you any of the new blonde or other light-colored furniture? It's certainly attractive, but fingerprints and dirt do tend to show up on it, don't they? Well, to help you solve this problem, the makers of Johnson's Wax have developed a special furniture polish called Johnson's Cream Wax. And believe me, it's wonderful. It's a creamy white liquid. And in addition to genuine wax, it contains two active cleansing ingredients which do an amazing cleaning job. Just apply, apply a little Johnson's Cream Wax to any of your light-colored furniture. All your furniture, for that matter. And notice how quickly and easily dirt and fingerprints disappear. Then, with just a light polishing, see Hilly. So wax gives a smooth, satiny wax luster that's really beautiful. And he's dry, not oily, so dust and dirt won't stick to it. Of course, this makes your housework much easier. Try Johnson's Cream Wax on your light wood woodwork and white kitchen equipment, too. You'll like it. McGee, I hope Teeny's parents weren't mad at her for being here when they thought she was at her Aunt Minnie's. She called up after she got home, said her folks dished out a terrific beating. Oh, and... no, McGee, a beating? Yeah, to the other couple at Bridge. Oh. <laughs> said they were so happy about it, they just kissed her. Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the National, the National Broad Company. Our Vic Brooks are in Eve Arden. friendships our Miss Brooks has made in her years of teaching English at Madison High School is the one with her landlady, Mrs. Davis. Their friendship is so close that there are times when each knows what the other is thinking without either saying a word. No, not one word. All Mrs. Davis has to do is raise six fingers, and I know just how many weeks I'm behind in my room rent. <laughs> Thursday morning, when another week's rent was due, Mrs. Davis was at a meeting of her ladies' aid club, preparatory to inaugurating their new clubhouse that evening. 
Taking her place at breakfast with me was one Walter Denton, who usually managed to eat as if he were three Walter Denton. <laughs> the first day, he was doing his best to live up to his reputation. You enjoying your breakfast, Walter? <laughs> Just nod your head, boy. No words could possibly escape through that barrier. <laughs> Pardon me, dear teacher, but you caught me with my jars chock full of Mrs. Davis's salubrious victuals. <laughs> I know. The trick is to catch you when they aren't. Now, if you're through, we'd better be on our way to school. All right. But first, I have something to show you. Really? What? Well, if you'll step to the window and pull up the blinds, I'm sure you'll get a big surprise. What are you going to do? Push me out? <laughs> Come on, Miss Brooks. It's standing right in front of the house. All right. Let's see what it is. upon it, dear teacher, your newest means of transportation. Where? All I see out there is a broken-down moving van. Isn't she a beauty? I own it. Or rather, Bone Snodgrass and I own it together. We traded our jalopies in for the moving van the day before yesterday. As soon as we saw it, we knew this would be the perfect business for the firm of Denton and Snodgrass. A firm that combines brawn and brains. Really? Who's the third partner? And to prove it, I already have our first order. As for Mrs. Conway, a friend of my mother's, she wants the stuff delivered tomorrow morning. Yes, out in yonder van is her entire one-room suite of furniture, a complete chandelier. Oh, good. My one ambition has always been to ride to school hanging from a chandelier. <laughs> so far, you've had me hanging from everything else. <laughs> I'm not kidding, Miss Brooks. This venture is the most important of my life. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm still faced with one or two problems, one of which I feel certain you can help me with. How? Oh, it's very simple. It concerns where I'm going to leave my moving van overnight tonight. I thought you'd persuade Mrs. Davis to let me leave it in her driveway. Uh, would you, Miss Brooks? Well, I suppose... Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. I knew you would. <laughs> well, now that that's all settled, I guess we'd better be on our way to school. Yeah, unless you want to pick up something before we go? Only the rest of my last sentence. <laughs> However, I suppose you could leave the van in our driveway overnight, since Mrs. Davis won't be using her car till it's repaired. Now, we'd really better get going. Unfortunately, I have to see Mr. Conklin first thing this morning. You do? Of course so. Now, that is a coincidence, since Mr. Conklin happens to be the second problem you can help me with. I'm sorry. One truck is all our driveway can handle and... <laughs> That is, you'll have to handle Mr. Conklin yourself, Walter. No, it won't be difficult, Miss Brooks. It's just that I have to drive this van past his office window to put it in the school parking lot. And if he happens to see it, he's liable to erupt like old faithful. <laughs> well, our boy is at least twice as juicy. But uh, I fail to see how I'm... all you have to do is keep him from looking out of the window for a few minutes, Miss Brooks. I guess I could do that. Well, of course you could. But just keep him looking at you. That's an idea, Walter. If he can spoil my morning, I can spoil his. <laughs> Ladies, you speak 
when we inaugurated our new clubhouse tonight. Can't you possibly make it? Martha, there's nothing I'd rather do. Nothing in the world. But can I help it if I have to be out of town tonight on business for Mr. Stone? Oh, I suppose not. But this business for Mr. Stone certainly came up awfully suddenly. Well, you told me about the meeting awfully suddenly. Uh, that, that, that is, I, I would have let you know sooner, but I didn't think it was necessary until you told me about the meeting. Well, it certainly seems strange to me. You had to go out of town for Mr. Stone the last time my lady's aid group asked you to speak, too. The man has a simply uncanny knack of picking just the wrong knife. I'll <laughs> good. It isn't the $50 you were asked to contribute after we inaugurated our last clubhouse, is it? Magnolia Blossom. <laughs> How could you even think such a thing? Yeah, for a moment, I thought it was the $50. Oopsie, girl. <laughs> How could you doubt your Osgood? Hold it just a moment, Martha, there's someone at the door. Come in. Good morning, sir. I have the report. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Excuse me, my wife's hanging on the phone. Well, quick, cut her down. Oh, you're, you're speaking to her. Well, go right ahead, sir. I'll wait. Hello, Angel Eyes. <laughs> Just put all those horrid doubts out of your mind. When your Osgood says he has to go out of town on business for Mr. Stone, your Osgood means exactly that. I'll see you before I go. Goodbye, Pat. Miss Brooks, can you imagine my wife not wanting to believe I have to be away from home overnight? Seems incredible to me. Then you really have to go away on business, dear Arthur, uh, Mr. Conklin? Of course I have to. Do you think because my wife's ladies' aid group wants me to speak and perhaps contribute $50 tonight that I'd resort to the twin chains of deceit and substitute? And which hotel are you staying at in town, sir? Oh, I wouldn't dare stay at a hotel. It's much too risky. It's Joe. <laughs> <laughs> if you must know, I simply can't afford the $50, Miss Rose. And now that my secret is out, perhaps you can help me find a place to sleep tonight. Oh, I'd like to, sir, but our driveway is already spoken for. <laughs> Most of the people we know are members of your wife's group. I know. And if you ever find out, if... <laughs> what was that? What was what? Those sounds outside my window. That was either a truck backfiring or those were shots. I knew someone would catch up with Miss Enright sooner or later. Why, isn't it awfully bright in here, sir? I don't know when I've seen such a glare from the sun. I'd better pull down your shade. Glare from the sun? What are you talking about? How could there be any sun in here this time of morning? My windows face west. Well, uh, the, the days are getting awfully short this time of year. <laughs> anyway, there's no use waiting till the last second. Now, I'll just pull... That, that, that is a truck backfiring. Well, I'll soon see what it's doing outside my window. Oh, but listen, Captain, I'm certain. Holy cow, it's a moving van. And Walter Denton is driving it to our parking lot. What is that idiot Denton doing with a moving van? Maybe his books are heavier than the other kids. Did you? Now suppose you tell me what this is all about. 
Well, since you've already seen it, sir, I suppose there's no harm in telling you that Walter and Bone Snodgrass have gone into the moving business together. They've gone into the moving business? Yes, sir. They've already got their first order from a Mrs. Conway. Her entire one-room suite is on that van. They're delivering it tomorrow, and they just need a place to put their van till they collect the money for it. Tonight, I'm letting them leave it in our driveway, and I... Ah, so you're a collaborator on this scheme. A scheme which is against all the rules of this school. Using school property to conduct the full-time business is the severest offense I can conceive of. A offense demanding instant expulsion from... They've got a one-room suite on that van. <laughs> I felt like a desk clerk without portfolio. I was 
quietly cursing the brains of the firm of Denton and Snodgrass on my way to the school cafeteria at noon when I happened to run into the brawn. Hi, Miss Brooks. Hello, Bones. How's everything with Denton, Snodgrass, and company? I think you made a mistake, Miss Brooks. A mistake? Yes, there's my brother, Stretch Snodgrass, and me. <laughs> Both Snodgrass, but there ain't no one named Denton Snodgrass. I'm talking about Walter Denton. Oh, well, I'm going to meet Walter after lunch. And boy, have I got some good news for him. You have? Yeah. Well, that Walter thinks he's so smart just because he got an order from Mrs. Conway. Wait till he hears about the order I got. Mrs. Davis gave me an order to move all her furniture from her old clubhouse to a new one tonight. Mr. Davis can't do this. Not with Mr. Boynton and Mr. Conklin asleep. Excuse me, Bones. I've got to make a phone call in an awful hurry. Of all the people to pick to give the moving job to, I can't... Hello. Hello, Mrs. Davis. This is Connie. Oh, Connie, could you call me back a little later? I'm expecting phone calls from Maud Richards, Peggy Lowell, and Sally Norton about the clubhouse inaugural tonight. If I talk to you, I'm liable to get all confused. You won't get confused. <laughs> I want to talk about clubhouse business, too. Well, all right, if you say so. What is it, Maud? <laughs> Please. Look, I'm calling about the moving job you gave Walter and Bones Snodgrass. You've got to cancel it. But why, dear? Walter and Bones are such nice boys. They deserve to get a start in business. Of course they do. And I wouldn't ask this of you unless there was an excellent reason. I'll tell you what it is if you'll keep it a secret. Promise me you'll forget it as soon as I tell it to you. Oh, you can trust me, Sally. <laughs> Anyone I could trust more. All right, Mrs. Davis, the reason I'm asking this favor is that Mr. Conklin and Mr. Boynton are going to be in the moving van tonight. Oh, really, dear? Who gave the order to move them? <laughs> They're sleeping in it, Mrs. Davis. Neither of them wants it known where they are for one night. How exciting. They're hiding out. Well, trust me to dummy up, kid. I wouldn't squeal when two of the barbers were keeping undercover from the bulls. Oh, fine. Our television set has been fixed again. <laughs> then you will call Bones, Mrs. Davis. Of course I will. Can I depend on it just as soon as I hang up? I'll do it as soon as you hang up, Peggy. <laughs> All right, then. Bye, Hortense. <laughs> Jimmy the order, and an hour later she calls back and cancels it. Well, don't let it bother you. I got another order myself a little while ago. The biggest order we've had so far. Hey, that's great. Who'd you get it from? It's from Mrs. Conklin. I phoned her a half hour ago, and we're moving all the furniture from our old clubhouse to our new one tonight. <laughs> How's that for using the old bean? Boy, I gotta hand it to you, Walter. I wish I had thought of that idea. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I, I don't understand the rush to get over here. It's only 8 o'clock. I wanted you to get comfortable before Mr. Conklin arrives. But you said he wouldn't be here till 9 o'clock. 
That gives us an extra hour in this moving van. I know. Full hour. Alone. A crowded moving van. Just the two of us. You and me. Uh, let us sit down, shall we, Mr. Boynton? Say, I just noticed. There seems to be a lot more furniture in here than earlier in the day. Extra chairs, tables, that big couch. Probably the rest of Mrs. Conway's suite. Sit down, Mr. Barnes. Well, maybe so, but those pictures of Washington and Jefferson weren't here earlier either. Uh, nor this huge American flag. No, they weren't. Sit down, Mr. Barnes. <laughs> what would Mrs. Conway be doing with a huge flag in her room? Maybe she likes to salute before she goes to bed. You know, Miss Brooks, this situation would really be rather humorous if it didn't have such serious overtones. Did you ever imagine we'd sit huddled together in a crowded moving van, just the two of us, with just a dim light bulb between us and complete darkness? You haven't got a BB gun on your head, have you? Suppose we might as well do something while we're waiting for Mr. Conklin to arrive. Yes, we might as well, mightn't we? <laughs> we might as well do that. We certainly might. Now, what would be something for two people to do in the semi-darkness of a gloomy movie? Two guesses, and I'm already puckered up. Oh, I've got it, of course. Let's play ghost. I already am one. Mr. Boynton, if playing ghost is the only thing you can... Good evening, Miss Brooks. Oh, I wasn't expecting you so early, Mr. Conklin. Apparently not. Mr. Boynton, what are you doing here? Miss Brooks, does Boynton know about me? Yes, sir, but you don't know about he. Him. Mr. Conklin, this is your new bunkie. My new bunkie? Yes, sir. You see, since we're both in the same boat, trying to avoid a member of the Ladies' Aid Club for one night, Miss Brooks and I figured you wouldn't mind if I slept here with you. I'm no trouble at all during the eight hours I'm asleep. And to prove it, just watch him the 16 hours he's awake. What kind of a room made you our appointment? Well, folks, the doors was open, so I just nod grass. Nod grass? What are you doing here? I think you made a mistake, Mr. Conklin. Says my brother, Dred Snodgrass, and me, Bone Snodgrass. But we know I... there's no Snodgrass, Snodgrass. <laughs> but what are you doing here, Bone? Well, I might as well ask you all the same questions. It's my moving van. Yes, but it's our question. <laughs> well, Wall and me have got this furniture to deliver right away. So far, this deal has been nothing but a lot of anger ovation. Anger ovation? Yeah, you know, exasperation. <laughs> oh, you mean irrigation. <laughs> That's it. Now, if you'll step inside, Miss Brooks, I'll pull up the ramp. Well, we're going. 
It'll only take a couple of minutes to deliver this furniture to your wife's ladies' aid club, Mr. Conklin, and we'll have the van right back in the driveway. Oh, well, if it'll only take a couple of minutes to deliver it, I certainly won't be unreasonable about it. Particularly since we'll be using the van for the... Deliver this furniture to my wife's ladies' aid Ladies' aid club? I vote aye and make it unanimous. That's right. Have Denton stop this man immediately. Immediately. Denton, stop this second one. Oh, I say. Looks like he's forgotten the password. He can't possibly hear you, sir. All his furniture has made the interior soundproof. Yes, but Miss Brooks, in another minute, we'll be at the new clubhouse. What am I going to do? I've only got one more minute. Now, please, Miss Brooks, help me. All right, you start thinking of a speech while I look through your pockets for the $50. <laughs> the other thing I can think of is for you to hide, sir. Good, good, very good, yes. Now, where will I hide? How about the big couch, sir? You could stretch out under the soft cushion. Yes, good idea, under the cushion. But are you certain no one will see me under them? Even if they did, it would look like nothing but more cushions. Uh, can I use the couch, too? Nothing doing. You had your chance before. But maybe you could get behind the couch. Now hurry up. The van's stopping. Lower the ramp and then go up front and tell Walter to stay up there until I can get rid of Mrs. Conklin. Okay, Miss Brooks. I feel Why, Miss Brooks, what a pleasant surprise. Oh, hello, Mrs. Conklin. Are you here to help us launch our new clubhouse? Just hand me a champagne bottle and stand back. Why don't we just... Sit on the couch in the van and talk. Sit on the van in the couch. I mean, sit on the man in the couch. Uh, I mean, walk on the couch to the van. We can't sit on the couch, Mrs. Conklin. Well, why not? Nothing happened to it on the way over, did it? Uh, that's it. Something happened. Something dreadful happened to the couch. Really? To its legs? That's it. It acquired two more. <laughs> Well, it looks perfectly all right to me. I'm sure whatever happened won't prevent us from sitting on it. Oh, no, really, Mrs. Compton, don't sit there. You'd better not. <laughs> what was that? What was what? When I sat down just now, I heard an oof. Uh, that was I. When you sat down, I said you'd better get oof. <laughs> Under those cushions. Oh, no, there couldn't possibly. Miss Brooks, 
There's a body under there. Don't be alarmed. I doubt if it's still alive. <laughs> well, I, I'll just take off this cushion and... Look, oopsie girl. that covers all situations like this one. One explanation? What's that, Miss Brooks? Your husband was standing on the corner minding his own business waiting for a moving van. <laughs> Discovered, too, I really got busy and thought up a whale of a story. I practically convinced Mrs. Conklin that both her husband and Mr. Boynton had done this merely to surprise her and help with the clubhouse inaugural. Well, I, I still can't quite believe it, Miss Brooks, but I know Mrs. Miller will be as delighted to see Mr. Boynton as I am to see Osgood. Uh, did my landlady mention me this evening, Mrs. Conklin? Well, yes, she did, Mr. Boynton, but I forget what it was about. This has been such a hectic night. Ah, oh, dear. Frankly, I don't see why we moved at all when we'll only use this new clubhouse for a few hours twice a week. You mean you only meet here twice a week? That's right. The rest of the week it's dark. It is? Well, uh, don't be surprised if you happen to be passing some night and it's not completely dark, Mrs. Conklin. Why, what do you mean, Miss Brooks? Mr. Boynton tells me he likes to read before he goes to sleep at night. <laughs> Esther Groucho. Yes, friends, it's a Groucho summertime. By popular demand from your letters, rating histories, and the acclaim of critics, the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers bring you selected shows from You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. Groucho Marx is on vacation, friends, and will return in the fall. Until then, it's fun and laughs each week this summer as we proudly present some of the best of Groucho's past shows. And here he is, the one, the only... That's me, Groucho Marx. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples. Now, Mr. Fenneman, who's supposed to try for the $1,000? Well, just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected a student nurse. Gwen Lonsom, and a college gymnast, Ara Herabedian. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome, welcome, kids, to your bet your life. Say the secret word and divide $100. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Gwen uh, Lonsom, huh? Is that right? Lonsom. Oh, well, you won't be Lonsom very often. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're a student, nice? That's right. A very pretty one, huh? Thank you. Where are you from, New Bedford? <laughs> No, I'm from Minnesota, born in Rochester, but I lived all over the state. Oh. <laughs> you must have been fairly active, then. <laughs> and, uh, Ara Harabedian? You just made that up, didn't you? <laughs> uh, I carried it with me now for a few years. You're a college gymnast? Yes. Uh, where are you from? The University of Southern California. Oh. 
How old are you, a Herobedian? I'm 23. Are you very Herobedian in school? <laughs> You're 23? Yes. And uh, you, uh, Gwen? I'm 20. 20, yeah. Huh? What a lovely age. <laughs> I, I, are you married? No. How about, have you been uh, trapped? Uh... No, I'm single. Neither one married, huh? Well, the program isn't over yet, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what, what we can do here. You, you're a gymnast? Yes. You think you could fall for uh, Gwen? Huh? That would be easy. <laughs> well, don't fall too hard. She'll put you in splints. <laughs> of course, you're a gymnast. You'll probably marry a dumbbell. Huh? <laughs> That's known as the easy joke department. Huh? <laughs> Are you a registered nurse, Gwen? No, I'm still a student. I see. Well, I'd say you, you've registered with uh, Arrow over here. <laughs> Do you nurse anybody besides students? Go ahead. We nurse anyone. You don't care whether they're sick or not, huh? <laughs> you nurse them anyway? We prefer that they're sick. <laughs> That's nice. She goes around hoping people are sick. Huh? <laughs> you must have Frankenstein blood in you. Uh, <laughs> Charles Adams. Just what is a student nurse? Well, it's someone who's studying... To become a graduate registered nurse. Mm-hmm. Well, where are you doing it? Well, I'm studying at the Bishop Johnson's College of Nursing at the Hospital of the Good Samaritan. Oh. You have to say that whole thing every time anybody asks. <laughs> Can't you just say you're studying Bishop Johnson and let it go at that? <laughs> what are your school's requirements? Could I become a student nurse? Well, first you have to be between the ages of 18 and 35. <laughs> Well, I can pass that, and I will without another word. <laughs> well, what are the various ways to crack your skull in a gym? Do you fly around on a trapeze? Well, we have the horizontal bar, parallel bars, side horse, long horse. I've heard about bars like that. You go in parallel, and you come out horizontal. Let's <laughs> have three side horses and one long horse. <laughs> Would you mind describing one of these gym cracks? Uh, well, let's uh, take the long horse. It's a uh, piece of apparatus that stands about uh, four feet high and is about five and a half feet long. So when you run the length of the gym and hit a takeoff board and uh, vault over the horse, either uh, hitting the near end or the far end of the horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you do in school is uh, just trying to hit the far end of a horse? <laughs> Well, I suppose that's cheaper than betting on him. <laughs> well, you're a charming couple, and I expect you to get married as soon as you leave here. That'll be two dollars, please. Now, let's see how well you work together as a team. In just one minute, you're going to play your bet your life for a chance at a thousand-dollar question. But first, here's something of importance. Imagine being able to turn the steering wheel of your car with one finger, even when your car is at an absolute standstill. You can with famous DeSoto Full Power Steering. Why not try it? Go to your DeSoto Plymouth dealer and take the five-mile trial. Take the five-mile trial. Drive five miles behind the wheel of a new DeSoto Fire Dome 8 or a DeSoto Power Master 6 and discover the amazing ease and convenience of DeSoto Full Power Steering. Going around sharp curves and over bumpy roads, you'll have firmer control than you've ever known before. DeSoto Full Power Steering makes driving safer and easier. 
and far less tiring. In traffic conditions, or when you're parking, you'll marvel at the effortless ease of turning the wheel. It's as easy as dialing a phone. You see, DeSoto full-power steering works for you not some of the time, but all of the time. Tomorrow, visit your DeSoto Plymouth dealers and ask to take the five-mile trial in either the mighty DeSoto Fire Dome 8 with the new 160-horsepower Fire Dome V8 engine or the handsome DeSoto Powermaster 6. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, the low-priced car most like high-priced cars. All right, now let's say you'll get a chance at the $1,000. Uh, Mr. Phantom. Yes, sir. Would you mind explaining the rules to these kids? All right. Uh, you bet as much of your $20 as you want on each of four questions. And the couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 DeSoto Plymouth question at the end of the show. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected popular singers, past and present. Here's your first question. How much will you bet? Fifteen. 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 What was the name of the vagabond lover of the 20s who sang her songs through a megaphone? Uh, oh. Rudy, uh, I mean, uh... Oh. Talk it over now. One answer. Rudy Valley. No. Rudy Valley is right. <laughs> well, you're on your way. You have $35. Now, remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of the 35 are you going to risk? 30. 30. 30. What is the name of the versatile vocalist on the Jack Benny show? Dennis Day. Dennis Day, Dennis Day is right. <laughs> Really climbing now. You have sixty-five dollars. Sixty-five. How much is it? Sixty-five. You're going to bet on your third question. Sixty. Sixty dollars. What is the name of Tommy Dorsey's former vocalist who swept the nation's bobby soxes off their feet? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. Now you've climbed up to one hundred and twenty-five dollars. And how much of this hundred and twenty-five are you going to risk? <laughs> okay. Works. 125. After trying for years, one song, That's My Desire, made an overnight sensation of this singer. What's his name? Frankie Lane. Frankie Lane is right. <laughs> and you wind up with a grand total of $250. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Roger, we invited some private detectives to the program tonight. Oh, a private detective is a light-hearted loon if you listen to popular rumor. No, you wouldn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> <Are you> detective. <laughs> I'd like to introduce the next couple. Really, I would. Maybe they know each other. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, studio audience selected one of those that we invited, and his name is Mr. Alan Rice. His partner is a spinster, Miss Etta Rue, and here they are. Folks, come in here and meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, welcome, kids, to the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Right there, huh? say, the, say the secret word and you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you always have with you. Now, let's see. Uh, a spinster and a private eye, huh? Well, this ought to be interesting. If he can't find her a man, nobody can. <laughs> Where are you from, Etta? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Oh. How do you feel about St. Paul? Oh, well, uh, St. Paul's all right, too. <laughs> a, a hollow laugh, have I ever heard one? <laughs> How is it you're a spinster, a charming girl like you, Edna? Well, I've had a great number of gentlemen friends, but uh, uh, somehow or other I didn't uh, quite make the grade. <laughs> Now, if you found the, the right man now, would, would you uh, marry him? 
Oh, yes, indeed. If I, uh, well, I'd think it over, of course, a while, and uh, if it came up to my expectations, uh-huh. I, I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> you feel the same way about him as you do about St. Paul, I think. <laughs> How about Alan Rice, huh? Yes, sir. You, uh, are you married? Uh, no, I'm not, Mr. March. Oh. Pretty good detective. He keeps himself out of trouble. <laughs> Edda, are you casting sheep's eyes over there? <laughs> oh, no, I was kind of looking at you. <laughs> well, I'm spoken for, Edda. There's a... Unfortunately, there's a girl in St. Paul who is infatuated with <laughs> You you say you're a, a private eye. Huh? Where do you do your gum shoeing? Well, I have my own agency here in Hollywood. Central what do you do? Spy on yourself? Huh? Secret service. Oh, secret service. Huh? I better be careful what I say. Do you work for the government? No, we call it secret service because all of our investigations are strictly confidential. Better, I think he's your man. <laughs> <laughs> or aren't you interested in a confidence man? Oh, I'm interested in most any kind of man at this age. <laughs> Eddie, you're really on the prowl, aren't you? Huh? <laughs> Eddie, a gentleman never asks a woman her age, so tell me, how many years ago were you born? Oh, uh, well, uh, 66 and uh, maybe a little bit more. Six, 66 years ago. Let's see, that... Uh... That makes you about 47, huh? <laughs> Perhaps you would explain something to me. Exactly what age does a woman become a spinster? Oh, a woman never becomes a spinster if she keeps young and uh, and uh, keeps a young mind and uh, goes around with the fellas and all this and that. She never becomes a spinster. <laughs> Just what do you mean by all this and that? <laughs> well, tries to act young and look young and... To, and uh, keep up appearances and uh, and go dancing, the square dancing and, and uh, rumba and all this and that, you know. Better, I think you've evaded that very well. That <laughs> hey, Eagle Eye, wake up. This guy's in a transom over here. <laughs> I'm only kidding, Alan. Uh, actually, you're, you're wide awake, alert, and every inch the private detective. Now, stay awake. <laughs> now, what's the most common kind of a job you fellows get? Well, the most uh, common jobs we get is department store work for uh, disappearance, mysterious disappearance of merchandise. Suppose somebody's trying to steal a thimble. Could you detect that instantly? Well, if he was a professional thimble thief, yes. <laughs> Are there people who would just go around and steal nothing but thimbles? Yes. Now, how can you spot a shoplifter? Do they look like crooks? They look just like you and me. <laughs> Can't you just make it you? Why do you have to drag me in? <laughs> Edda. Yes? Uh, you're still here. Oh, yes, I'm here. <laughs> Has anything embarrassing ever happened to you, Edda? Oh, yes, not could, long ago. Could you relate it to us? I was singing in church. I was singing one of the hymns that they, uh, uh, when we were all singing there. Not in what? the choir, but this was just in the, in the congregation. What were you singing? We were singing, You're My God to Thee. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I opened my mouth pretty wide. I guess why didn't I should have? <laughs> and lo and behold, my upper plate fell right down the middle. Anna. And then... Anna, 
ask a moment at us. <laughs> Don't they always pass the plate around in church? <laughs> Yes, but the plays have already passed. <laughs> I must say you two have been unusual. I must say that because you really are. However, a few days in bed and I'll be as good as new. <laughs> You're going to make a very interesting wife for some fellow, and I'm going to try to find you a husband if it's the last thing I do. And I wouldn't be surprised if it is the last thing I do. <laughs> Are you going to play your bet your life? You beat our other two couples, you'll get a chance at the $1,000 question. I can't tell you how much the first couple won, but George Fenneman is going to remind our listeners. The student nurse and the college gymnast won $250. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build your $20. You selected state landmarks. Here's your first question. How much would you bet? $15. $15. In what state is Pikes Peak? Colorado. Colorado is right. <laughs> You're on your way, you have $35. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of your $35 you going to bet? $30. In what state did you find the Everglades? Oh, uh, Florida. Florida is yeah. right. <laughs> you now have $65. Oh. She's just crazy about herself, this guy. <laughs> All right. He's pretty cute at that. Now, here's your third question. You're going to bet how much? $60. $60. In what state do you find the crater Lake National Park? In Oregon. Oregon. Oregon is right. <laughs> now you've climbed to $125. I wouldn't be surprised if Etta winds up marrying herself if she wins this one. Here's your last chance to beat the other couple. How much of the $125 are you going to risk? We'll shoot the works. The works. In what state do you find the General Sherman Sequoia Tree? California. California is right. $250. Thanks and good luck from the Minnesota Plymouth Dealers. We invited some high school students to our program tonight. Yes. Uh, I I suppose we all realize it so far. No, I didn't. Uh, What is it? We uh, have a tie in our score here, I suppose you know. I can't tell you how much because the other couple's probably waiting out here by now, huh? And in addition to that, he doesn't know. Yes, I do, but I won't say it because the uh, high school students that we invited to the program are here, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected two of them to be on the show, and here they come, Miss Laura Ann, no, Lou Ann Williams and Howard Stearns. Meet Groucho Marx, kids. Welcome, youngsters, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers. Say the secret word and you'll divide $100. It's a common word, something you always have with you. High school youngsters, huh? It's, well, it's always nice to meet young people. Uh, Lou Ann uh, Williams, huh? Yes. How, how old are you, Lou? Sixteen. Sixteen. And uh, you were? Uh, a little over sixteen. Where are you from, Howard? Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What is your hometown, uh, Lou? Uh, Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. What school do you attend? Eagle Rock High School. Eagle Rock? Mm-hmm. And at what school do you practice your somnambulism, uh, Howard? Well, I go to Fairfax High School. Oh. Do you know what somnambulism is? That means you walk in your sleep. That's not true. I always trap myself in it. <laughs> what are you learning in school, Hal? Well, I take chemistry, algebra. You do anything else in school, like playing with the girls' basketball team? Oh, no, I, I play with a band. Oh, a musician, eh? Yeah. What instrument do you massacre? I play trombone. Are you interested in the band, too, uh, Lou? No. No, you just don't give it to, do you? <laughs> do you belong to any school organizations? Yes, the GAA. GAA, what's that? Gah. 
Is that like the AAA? No, that's the Girls Athletic Association. Girls Athletic Association. Well, count me out. I'll have no association with any girl who's athletic. <laughs> but before I break off the association, what is the purpose of it, Lou? To make uh, sports more popular with girls. I'm back in the association. <laughs> I'm one sport who's just dying to be popular with girls. <laughs> now, which team are you on, Lou? Uh, I'm not on any team. I'm a cheerleader. A cheerleader? Yeah. Oh, glad you're here. I need something to cheer me up. Can you give us a cheer? Go ahead. Something that'll... Uh... Rouse the rooters? Me right now? Yeah, give us a chance. Okay. Snickerty, rickety, rickety rat. We're the GA that never falls back. We're the people. We're the stuff. We're from Eagle Rock. That's enough. <laughs> I didn't know that Shakespeare wrote poems about sports. He'll <laughs> be singing that in a hundred years from now. <laughs> I only hope I'm not around to hear it. <laughs> Howard, Howard, is that it, Hammond? Yeah, let's find out something about your band. Is it a dance band, or is it just for football games? Well, we play for football games and also other school activities that need the band to play. I well, guess. Secret word. Well, you and your partner split $100 between you. Here's 50 for you. And here's 50 for you. I didn't say You say uh, you, you just play for football games? Uh? Well, we play for school assemblies and rallies. Uh -huh. Do you march in the parade? Yes. Well, when you're marching along in the parade, how do you know what the fellow in back of you is doing? Well, I don't, but it doesn't make any difference. Suppose <laughs> he happens to be playing a slide trombone and he's reaching for a low note. <laughs> Now, uh, Lou, uh, when your band is playing, your school band is playing at a football game, do you wear pump, wave pom-poms like I've seen on television? Yes. Well, let's recreate a big game. Uh, Howard, you play your school song, and uh, Lou and you wave your school colors, okay? Okay, one, two, three, go. I don't have an instrument. <laughs> That's right. It's hard to play a slide trombone unless you have a... Well, we could borrow one. Hey, uh, trombonist out there, could we have the trombone for a minute? <laughs> Are you sure you know how to blow this thing, huh? Yeah. They can be pretty dangerous, those slide trombones. <laughs> well, I want you to play exactly as you do when you're sitting at a football game. Pretend the rest of your band is here, too, and you're all blowing up some school spirit. Now, go ahead, get hot, and, and uh, Luann, you wave your school colors, okay. huh? Okay, let's go. Howard, let's be sensible about this. You mean that's your school song? I don't you mean you win football games with that? play the melody. You know what? I don't play the melody. You sing? <laughs> Howard, when you say you don't play the melody, that's the understatement of the year. Right? <laughs> Are you sure you can play that, Bugle? <laughs> Let's try it again. Only this time, forget what you play and, and give us the old fight song now. Go ahead. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
And I'm sure if you continue practicing like that, you can make a fortune going around breaking laces. <laughs> All right, now let's see how much you've learned in school. You're going to play your bet your life. You run your $20 into more than our other couples, and you'll get a chance at the $1,000 question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is going to remind our listeners. The first and second couples are tied with $250 each. Here we go. Let's, let's see how high you can build your $20. You've selected famous inventors. Here's your first question. How much of the $20 are you going to bet? Fifteen. Fifteen. Who invented the telegraph? Morse. Samuel Morse is right. Well, you're off to a good start. You have $35. Remember, you're going for $1,000. Now, how much of the $35 are you going to bet? Twenty-five. Well, twenty-five. Twenty-four. Twenty-five? Twenty-five? Thirty. I think we should make it twenty-five. What? Make it twenty-seven fifty, eh? Let's let's make it twenty-five. Save a little bit for dinner. We're going to find out now who's the boss of this team. All right, what is it, kids? Twenty-five. Who invented the uh, cotton gin? Eli Whitney is right. Sixty dollars. Here's your third question. How much of the sixty you going to bet? Fifty-five. Who invented the lightning rod? Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. $115. Now, how many is your last chance to beat the other couple? How much are you going to bet? Bet it all. Bet it all? Yes. Who invented the incandescent lamp like you use at home? Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison is right. <laughs> all right, you came through. Huh? And you two kids wind up with $230. And that means that our first two couples, who both won $250, get a chance at the big question together. I'll ask the big question in just one minute, but first, here's an important message. Friends, if you're looking for a used car, remember you can't go by price or appearance alone. You also have to go by the reputation of the dealer. And that's why so many people like to buy not only new cars, but also used cars from a DeSoto Plymouth dealer. He's a good man to do business with. When you buy from a DeSoto Plymouth dealer, you know you'll get satisfaction. You'll get a used car that's a real value, whether you're buying the latest model or just dependable transportation. Your DeSoto Plymouth dealer has many different makes and models of good used cars on his lot. Some of them are DeSoto's and Plymouth's he sold when they were brand new and has serviced in his shop ever since. So, before you decide on any used car, drop around and see what your DeSoto Plymouth dealer has to offer. You'll find he has the best used car values in town. All right, Groucho, here we go with two couples tied for the big question and the chance at the thousand dollars. Each couple will decide on a single answer between them. Now, write it down on one of these cards that I'm going to hand you. Now, if both couples get the right answer, they will split the money between them. All right, you all ready? 
Put on your thinking caps. Here we go for $1,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you. Think carefully. Please, no help in the audience. Here it is. For $1,000, tell me who was our youngest president at the time of his inauguration. Let me see the card. No, I'm sorry. This couple wins with Theodore Roosevelt. He was just 43 at the time he... Spinster in the private eye had the right answer, Theodore Roosevelt. We got the, we got the couple that guessed Franklin D. Roosevelt. They both had Roosevelt's, but unfortunately they had the wrong one. Well, that's right. You win $1,000, and, and how much uh, did they win? $250. That's $1,250. Yeah. So you win $1,200. What are you going to do with all that money, Etta? Well, uh, oh... It's I... out of the question with me, Etta, yeah. so let's... Uh... <laughs> I have a friend, an old maid like myself, that's been ill for several years. And she's, uh, well, it's been seven years now that she's been ill. And I said, if I want any money tonight, I'd help her out. Because she's gone to the end of a rope financially. So I'm going to help her out. Well, that's okay. Really cleaned up tonight. Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. You bet your luck. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at the same time for the best of Groucho from the You Bet Your Life series. Don't miss the best of Groucho on television, too. Also presented by the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And when you drive in, tell them Groucho sent you. Good night, folks, and remember, see the DeSoto Fire Dome 8 tomorrow. Folks, here's a reminder from the National Safety Council. The three R's of safe driving are ready, reasonable, and right. You Bet Your Life, transcribed from Hollywood, is produced by John Goodell, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith, music by Jerry Fielding. This is George Fenneman signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast. (laughs) 